Welcome to Tech Explorations Podcast, Episode 5, Part 2. In the previous part of Episode 5, Richard talked about his background as an information technology teacher and maker, VisiCalc, and his teaching work and projects with the Raspberry Pi. In this second part, Richard and I discuss his approach to teaching complicated subjects, mentorship and coaching, and how Richard got into electronics, and of course, lots more. Let's continue right away where we left off in part one. As you also said in the past, like your job as a teacher is to try and get, uh, try to teach a fairly complicated topic. If you, if you think about what is involved in all this, it's, it's, oh. it's a lot of moving components that need to be able to speak to a lot of other components and standards and you know, languages and databases and all those things have got their own peculiarities but you you want to just extract what is important like the, the way of thinking um the, the the way that you connect things the way that you prototype and iterate and, and uh, then uh, this is really the core of your teaching the details can be filled uh, with a little bit of time by the student themselves but is that how you feel because i wanted to ask you like how do you approach a task like this where you have to teach somebody who's never done this before all these complicated topics that is a good question i'm not sure uh how the class will respond to this or the students will respond to this i i can take it one step at a time i know i can start out very very simply hmm. with an Adreno yeah. and uh, connect the TMP36 and read the temperature and the number of lines of code on that are minimal. Yes. So then... No operating system, nothing fancy, no settings. Don't have to load any libraries, nothing. That is the simplest step, the simplest first step. Right. And, and then being able to read the data out of a serial port, mm. uh, we can do that intuitively by just monitoring the serial port with a Python program on the, uh, the Raspberry Pi. Uh, on, the, on, on the Raspberry Pi. Yeah. And I'm looking around here. Uh, yeah. And I, of course, I have the, the Raspberry Pi with the uh, program. It's on my other computer. I'm, I'm on my <laughs> Macintosh right now. <laughs> you never have everything in the right place. But, okay. uh, uh, so is it how you like i wanted to ask you like you're not a, a teacher you have multiple hats and uh as i've been uh, corresponding with you the last couple of years i know that you've got um uh, you're a maker as well and you you make things and uh yep. and a, a learner like you're a lifelong learner what is your personal approach to a new project that has a lot of unknowns in it so the first time that you approached a raspberry pi for example or an arduino how did you go about getting the basics right so that you can go on and do more interesting things later this would be a, a good example of the first thing i did um i i actually went through your course and got through the, the whole thing once, and it worked. And then I did it again, uh, just to, because there's so many different things yeah, working there. Yeah. But that, that's that's a fairly complex course. So try to work with something that works. But uh, starting out, just turning on uh, LEDs and uh, making buzzers beep and reading light sensors and things like that, 
and just writing a simple program to see how that works. That, simple projects. That, it, right. It's a good, it's a good place to start. And then everything else is just uh, a layering activity on top of that. So, so uh, once you got those basics right and you started feeling more comfortable with the technology, did you start getting ideas? Oh, wow, I can do this. And oh, I can do that as well. And then yes. you started becoming more independent and uh, well, started pursuing I, your own projects? Is, is this a generic term or is this a, uh, a term that you all invented? Uh, curiosity driven? Uh, I'm uh, I'm not really sure. I I want to think that I came up with the idea, but that's how I felt <laughs> at yeah. the time. I was somebody describes me like, why do I why do I do things, uh, especially around technology? Um, and I thought that's because I'm just curious to know how things work and how I can. Uh, I want to poke things and and see what my poking effect is, and that's because the, like the underlying force behind all that is curiosity so i thought oh yeah I, i'm driven by curiosity or curiosity driven but i think a lot of people feel like that right and you probably feel like that as well that's exactly the way i approach it uh you've got to want to do this this is not uh, necessarily easy but it's not necessarily difficult once you learn a couple of things and that's where the teacher comes in and i tend to not cast myself as a teacher but kind of as a uh, what do they call it? a player coach type uh, position mentor perhaps mentor uh, would thinking, also work i'm but, thinking the uh, difference between a mentor and a coach um uh, i often talk about this in my boot camp so like a, a coach is uh like a person of authority that is trying to, to drive essentially or to guide a student towards a specific goal. So win the championship or pass the exam, uh, whatever it might be. So there is some context around that, but I find the mentor really is there to support the student in the student's own journey or own goals. So it's like a facilitator. So th that's how I differentiate coach from a mentor. Okay. Uh, how do you feel? Um, I agree with that completely. Um... It's ultimately it's up to the student to do mm. the learning. We we we've forgotten a lot of that with uh, standardized testing and th things like that because I've seen that for ten years in uh, public yeah. school, and students just need the freedom to explore and find directions and get something to work. And if you can get one thing to work, then you can probably get something else to work. And even though it may just be uh, a stream of consciousness putting something together, once you get to a particular point, you can go back and reevaluate it. I, I always tell my students, if you're doing a lab and it works right the, correctly the first time, then it's probably not a very good lab. Uh, you, you should not trust yourself. It's a false sense of accomplishment. Do it 10 times and, and become consistent with it. And then you'll start to know what's going on. It starts soaking in. So as, as a, uh, say as a mentor or somebody who is responsible for introducing new concepts to students, uh, your role is, is a dangerous one in a way because you can't make things too easy 
because you're going to give your students a false sense of security. Oh, well, this is too easy, or I'm too good, right? I, don't, I didn't even stress, and I managed to do this. Uh, but you can't make it too hard either, because if you make it too hard, you discourage people, they just drop off. So you need to be somewhere in the middle. You need to stress the student well enough to show them that even though it is hard, they still have success in whatever they're trying to do uh, without discouraging them. So I'd say um, introductory courses tend to be very hard because yes. very often it's just a one shot, uh, one shot for a student. Uh, you can lose them easily. I uh, try to keep them focused. Uh, my The course I'm teaching now is an introductory course. It's the first networking course. There's four things you have to learn. And that's all we're going to focus on. We're going to learn a hmm. whole lot about a very little, but you're going to do it well because you're not going to be able to survive if you don't know how to do that. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like teaching Vim the first time. What do you need to know? You need to know escape and yeah. I. <laughs> like and, and, like, yeah, two things or three things maybe. How to get out of it because that's where a lot of people get stuck. They right. can't. They can't exit Vim. <laughs> But, but I also have a Vim book that's uh, two and a half inches thick back <laughs> yes. if you want to get into it completely. And so uh, they're, they're, I say <laughs> I'm very productive with Vim knowing five things. <laughs> yeah, that's all I need. <laughs> and, and I work with other things too, but uh, it, yeah. it works very well. So you don't need to know a whole lot to, to get ahead. But that's what got me into electronics originally. I was going to, uh, I had never knew that I had an aptitude. Uh, for this, well, I knew yeah, I had an tell us about your early days. Yeah, like. well, I, I was in the Navy, and uh, one of my friends was signing up for uh, a correspondence course back when they did correspondence courses, and you actually sent things through the mail, <laughs> and uh, I could get it paid for uh, on the uh, GI Bill, and I got to build a TV at the end if you finish the course. So it was a neat thing. Yeah. But the way the sales rep promoted said. I said, you know, it's going to be too complicated. I said, no, no, it's it's not. Electronics is not complicated at all. There's, see, here's Ohm's law. It's just three things. It's uh, voltage times uh, current is equal to, or voltage whatever. <laughs> uh, EIR is what voltage it amounts resistance to. Resistance and current. Voltage and equal, <laughs> uh, I can't read. Yeah. I'd have to. I'd have to put my thumb over it and bring up the uh, voltage equals. Um uh, the resistance times uh, the current. Yes, resistance times current equals voltage. Think about it a little yeah. bit. Uh, <laughs> if you're in hardware, it's hard to be a software. I, I find my mind uh, uh, getting lost in these things and, and having to reorient myself. But um, when he explained that, I, I well, that wasn't very hard. And I was able to uh, go through that. And I learned a few things and learned a few more things. And uh, I was aboard ship, so I had uh, sometimes 16 hours a day to do nothing except <laughs> study on it, and I took advantage of it. So you can you can learn this stuff, and it's not hard to get started. Every pioneer uh, in this field in digital electronics is telling my class the other day, Samuel Morse, uh, his background before he did Morse code, he was a, a contract portrait painter. Uh, <laughs> well, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. It's, wow. That's, uh, well, portrait painting. <laughs> portrait yeah. painting was what reaching the end of a career. <laughs> <laughs> and digital communications was uh, just starting out, and, and uh, Western Union was to be founded. So he became very rich as, as a result of that. But uh, and if you think about it, the like back then when you started 
working with all this, there was no eBay and Amazon and Alibaba right. to order parts, right? How, how did you get parts to build your projects? Oh, uh, well, some of the first, we call it maker uh, things uh, today. I, you know, that, that uh, makes sense as a word, but uh, we, there were always things you could do. But in, in those days, uh, there was Allied Radio Shack and Allied way yeah. back when Radio Shack existed, they were more of an electronics parts store. So you could get things at a Radio Shack store. And I always seemed to get a Heath kit. There was a company that made kits. And uh, some of the things I built as actually as part of the electronics technology course, I took my correspondence. The uh, course was, um, uh, had you build some of your components. So I built a digital multimeter uh, that plugged into the wall and the oscilloscope and then uh, the tv came later on in the program you had to make it through most of the program because the tv didn't come until the very end of course but it was uh all of those kits came from Heathkit, and Heathkit you could get their catalog and you could build uh ham radio sets uh tvs radios test equipment hobbyist sorts of things uh half watt radio station uh, an AM transmitter. And I always seem to be getting things like that. So getting the parts and getting the resistors was good. And then one of my neighbors, when I was growing up, his dad was an uh, electrical engineer for the uh, energy plant uh, that was uh, in the vicinity. And he always used to bring home batteries and components and uh, things yeah. and we could do stuff with them. And, and we made things with them. And, uh, you know, it, it might have just been soldering wires onto a battery, which was not real efficient, but uh, and putting a switch on it and making lights that switched on and off that you could do neat things with. So that, that was just a lot of fun to do those sorts of things. So that was your eBay back then, ah, yes. right? A uh, shop like that. Yeah, and that, that's yeah. a modern one. But, it's 2011. Uh, but Radio Shack, you I don't know if there's any Radio Shack stores around uh, anymore. No, they've been sold off, if, if I remember correctly, and uh, rebranded. It's, it's not the same Radio Shack as it used to be back no, in the it, 70s. It no, it became more of a boutique uh, yeah. and uh, toys. And the Radio Shacks have um, essentially uh, become uh, like the pie hut or the pie shop yeah. uh, out of Cambridge, uh, just opened his first pie store. Uh, I, 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 you know, I, I get the magazines and all of that. And I don't know what you have in. Uh, did you switch me back there? Yes. Or, I okay, good. <laughs> I, I, I saw that up here, and I just hadn't done that yet. But uh, you know, but those you can get components there, and uh, I just got. Uh, let's see. There's my package for. Uh, uh, what an, an ESP board, and uh, I want to get into that because that looks like a neat component. But that was ten dollars, oh, yeah. and uh, ordered it off of Amazon, and uh, it shipped from China. So, yep. uh, and I've got boxes of uh, parts over here. So I needed some NPN transistors, and I was able to get a hundred of them for nine dollars and ninety nine cents. Yeah, it looks I, like I mean, you're stocking up for some serious uh, project work. What are you planning to do next? <laughs> well, not much, but when you you can 
buy uh, from one company uh, <laughs> and some places they might sell five for nine dollars and you can buy a yes. uh, hundred for nine dollars <laughs> yeah that's amazing like uh, another um, I call them students but I don't feel like US students like another colleague from Tech Explorations um, told me about a deal on Alibaba I believe uh, there's you can get 10 ESP32 boards for 40 uh, for 50 us dollars so right <laughs> get, well, why not i get 10. <laughs> yes and, and they're going I'm, to work well <laughs> uh and uh we have st i have students uh oh uh, last year i had one student and he worked with one of the uh, telco uh companies here uh, i forget which one but he, they were doing projects for some sort of telco monitoring system but their their uh, platform was a uh, uh a raspberry pi and what's the uh the, what's the the uh the small the entry level the uh the zero the pi zero yes and they were using the, the pi tiny. zeros good yeah yeah because you can get them well if you don't yeah, get them free you bucks. get them for about five yeah. bucks <laughs> yeah and, Plus and they the could, power supply for 20. <laughs> Yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> so th they were doing things like that, but the electronics is cheap. But if you shop around, you can get this. Uh, for our course, uh, we're going to go with one of the uh, box vendors. Uh, you know, Adafruit and uh, SparkFun are good, but the Cisco curriculum, uh, they specified mm. um, SparkFun. So we're, we're just going to go directly with SparkFun yep. simply so I can have a single point of ordering. And the if you've worked with institutions, you have to have uh, uh, preferred vendors and standardization. Uh, yeah, yeah, totally understand. The, the, Deal with returns and problems uh, with hardware. Just yeah, that's uh, totally understandable. But yeah. even even then, to put the whole thing together, when I went to uh, talk to the dean about promoting the program, he said, "Well, what's the kit going to cost?" Because one of the things I want to do is give every student, I don't want to give them a, a kit, but they're going to have use of a kit. They're not going to have to mm. share anything. Uh, so everybody will have use of a kit. And I put together kits that would cover all four courses. Mm. And the kits came out to be, be about $200. And I, yeah. I thought that was very reasonable. And I mentioned that to the dean. And uh, he said, what's the kit going to cost? It's going to be about $200. So, well, that's a textbook. And that's yep. what it is because I got a desk copy. A uh, I got. I don't. I don't know if you're familiar with the Grobe uh, Electronics Technology text. Oh yeah, if, I am. Well, that's that's the one I used to teach out of a long yeah. time ago when I was at Southern yeah. Illinois University. But I, I pulled it out. I have edition three, and now it's up to edition twelve. <laughs> I mean, I, where have I been all these years? Uh, so I, I pulled it out and. Uh, and when I ordered it, the list price on that was $184 for it. Yeah, textbooks are expensive. It's amazing. And so yeah. we can equip uh, students to be makers for the price oh, much less. Uh, of a yeah. good textbook. And uh, the, the context then will be just uh, unlimited with the contents of the kit, uh, the variations of the things that the students will be able to make. It's just, well, uh, almost unlimited. And uh, he asked, uh, well, what are you going to use for a textbook? I said, well, in, in the, the world of STEM, there is no textbook. Uh, <laughs> exactly. there, there are resources. And the internet. <laughs> the internet, is, it's all there. And it's, you know, like tech, tech explorations. And I'm finding everything I need 
and I, I could find books and yeah. things that are downloadable and most of the stuff is well established uh in history so it's uh yeah. it's yeah. not hard to find so all it takes is a teacher exactly and uh, that's that's your responsibility as a teacher like to get all this noisy world like to convert this noisy world into something with order that uh, students starting up now can you know grow into and um learn which is uh, that, that's a good, that's a good observation there, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's that's how I feel. Like every time I start a new course, I'm, I'm working on that one now. My first few steps where I try to learn the thing that I'm going to teach is, geez, this is totally chaotic. Uh, and uh, no, I find curriculums or information, there's bugs everywhere, uh, mm -hmm. incomplete, uh, issues with hardware, libraries, conflicts, and I have to iron out all that. And that, that's how I feel as my responsibility is to just make sense of all that and present it in a way that I can help the student to start, not shield them really from the noise, but bring them to a, a level of understanding that the noise is not a problem anymore for them once they graduate. Um, right. Well, you use the word noise. I think that's important because so much of what I see for technology or math has to do with a lot of animation and noise, and it's it's so much entertainment. But uh, your stuff is solid. Uh, and uh, I don't know if you ever heard of a guy by the name of Don Herbert, uh, otherwise yeah. known as Mr. Wizard. Uh, no, I well, 1950s, uh, he essentially did, he was a predecessor of Bill Nye, but he was, oh, uh, yeah. uh he was, a, he, he, yeah, he was a communicator, but he, uh, just did things like how things work and he made things out of junk and he had a Saturday morning program and every Saturday morning he would have a helper, a, a, a boy or a girl that would help him along and he would have a half hour program they would go through and make something and i grew up with that and don herbert as mr wizard was famous uh, if, if you search on mr wizard you'll you'll find him but um some of his early recordings they they were actually on kinescopes as opposed to videotape but i've i've got the video uh set completely as a matter of fact there it is i've taken it and put it on a flash drive and i've got the whole thing on a 128 gig all of his content here that i could pull off just in uh, case i need it so do you find go. yeah watch mr wizard that's it <laughs> and he would as you can see there, there's a, a bicycle tire and it might be a gyroscope and uh you yeah. could actually do a lot of the things that he would do but if you look at his approach on that he approached it from very soft-spoken engineering science mm -hmm. uh it wasn't uh, a lot of flashy entertainment and special effects graphics things like that it was getting down to what it's making uh, yeah. Yeah. uh something and i don't think um well we, we we seem to in learning if you're going to learn this stuff ultimately you have to sit down where it's quiet and have the time to reflect and uh, see how this goes together because everything we're doing, no, there's nothing natural. Everything is uh, has to be learned. The, the digital world does not exist yeah. in the, the natural world at all. So 
Yeah. Exactly. It's it's all artificial, and yes. uh, basically humans create the laws. Well, it's all. Uh, of course, you need to adhere to the natural laws, the physics. But like how Boolean logic works, yep. uh, like how a program behaves when you do something, all that depends on the designer. At the end of the day, right? That's but the anyway, that's what he did here, and. Uh, I, I don't think anything's going to replace demonstrating, lecturing somebody mm -hmm. actually working through the problems. And uh, when I watch your presentations, you make mistakes. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I dissect your mistakes. <laughs> and I can see uh, if it's perfect, you're, you're not telling me the truth. <laughs> so you should I, see my new course. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, it's always a work in progress. <laughs> But that, that's just the way it works, and uh, you've got to stick with it, and you have to do these things more than once. So I encourage my students to do it. I said, and if this is not for you, you need to do something else. But if you want to learn this stuff, it's going to be hard once, and it's not going to be hard this, as hard the second time. And after you learn that, once you go on to something new, you're going to find you understand what was really hard is now yeah. part of your uh, learning base and uh, you, you understand the project. So yeah. that's good. That's all for this episode. Don't forget to listen to part three of Richard's interview, where we discuss his plans for the future and his experiences back in the day when he was using one of the first business networks at an Apple Market Center. The notes for this episode that include links to many of the resources mentioned and information on how to get in touch with Richard are available on our website, techexplorations.com. Each episode comes with its own page on the Tech Explorations website and a gold mine of information in the notes. This page also contains the video version of the interview. This podcast episode was produced by Tech Explorations. Do you have any questions or suggestions? Would you like to nominate a maker to be our guest? And of course, you can nominate yourself. Please email us at podcast at texplore.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes by searching for the name of our podcast, Tech Explorations. Thanks for listening and we'll see you again next time.